Father, we come to you, and as Debbie said, or prayed at the beginning, we are coming, Lord, for revelation. We want truth to burn in our hearts. We pray for the creation of understanding, enlightenment. Pray as Paul prayed that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, to see, to understand, to know. Holy Spirit, please be my helper, but be our helper as well. Right now we pray. Lead us again through Jesus to the heart of God, the Father. Give us insights into your grace this morning, which are fresh and new to us, just as Debbie prayed before. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right. So let's turn to Corinthians 12. And uh, Paul is having a little bit of an argument with the Corinthians here. He kind of basically says, okay, if you want me to boast, here goes, all right, if I've got to prove something to you. He says, boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit with me, me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, to buffet, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was caught up to the highest heaven, to the throne of God, to paradise. There are not seven heavens, that is Islamic doctrine. There are biblically three. There's the planet and its atmosphere, and then there is the cosmos and the stars, and then there is God, who dwells beyond, above, not, not talking about physics here, it's about greatness. He is, he's greater than the cosmos because he made the cosmos, therefore he is the highest yes. of heights. God inhabits the heaven of heavens, the highest of heavens, the third heaven. Paul was caught up into the very presence of God. Paul may have had a vision, but it may have been when he was left for dead at Lystra. They stoned him and dragged him out and left him for dead. And then and as the disciples were gathered round him, beginning to kind of mourn over him, he got up and walked back into the city. <laughs> you can read Acts. 
And it may be that Paul did die. Because he uses this, I don't know whether I was in the body or out of the body. And during those moments, the Lord gave him this revelation and then restored him to his body and to life. Paul reports that when he was caught up into the paradise of God, he doesn't know whether he is alive or dead, in the body or out of the body. Okay? Would you like to know what Paul heard and saw in paradise? You can't. He wasn't allowed to say isn't that interesting when some people are very, very eager to tell you, I, I died and went to heaven and came back again, stories. There's loads of them. They, they don't all match up. He wasn't permitted to speak of it. He even says, to begin with, I knew a man, I know a man, 14 years ago, who this happened to. And then in verse 7, he gives up and says, okay, it was me. You know? Well, he had this heavenly vision. I mean, it must have had a mark upon him. It shaped him. But he wasn't allowed to talk about it. In fact, so that he wouldn't be proud and exalt himself, he was given a thorn. Because of the revelation Paul had received, he was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. And twice, he says, to keep me from exalting myself. What was the thorn? Aha, wouldn't we like to know that too? Well, it may have been a physical ailment. There are stories that Paul had weak eyes, so that he, because of all the beatings and stoning and auras that, that he had, he, he was kind of, uh, kind of warped and twisted and limped. And, you know, his back was really bad. His body was damaged by the beatings and hard journeys he'd endured. And so, was that his thorn? Was it physical weakness and... Ailment. By the way, the weak eyes thing is because he writes to one the Galatians, you would have put out your own eyes for me. So maybe they had pity on the fact that he had bad eyes. So maybe. Or other people say that it was the constant battle with the, the, op- the opposition, with the Judaizers who tried to make Gentiles back into Jews. You know, you can't be a believer in Jesus and not be a Jew. You know, here we go. Let's get the whole thing going here. You know, snip beard the lot, you know. False teachers and false brethren, which, which, which was constant pressure. And hey, it is today. There are those who don't want it to be a physical ailment because they want to hang on to uh, healing as an, an issue uh, and, and even to, the, to, I think, the foolish idea that Christians ought never to get sick. Um, that is to misunderstand he heals all my diseases. You've got to have a disease for him to heal you. Haven't you? Yes. Forgives your iniquities, unless you committed iniquities, he's not, he doesn't forgive them. So it's when you get sick, you ask the Lord, and he heals you. I am your healer. All right? So it's not about never getting sick. That, that's a foolishness. But there are those who don't want Paul's ailment, thorn to be an ailment, an illness, because of that reason. Whatever it was, Paul calls it two things. He's going to the heart of the matter, not what it felt like and but what it, where, it, where it came from. It was a thorn in the flesh. It was a messenger of Satan to torment me. Let's deal with thorn in the flesh first. God said to the children of Israel, if you don't destroy the Canaanites from the land, all right, and you allow them to live there and continue with their paganism and all that, they will become thorns in your flesh. Constant irritants. How many of you know when you get a splinter, you better deal with that? Because it's... <laughs> 
yeah. I'm, I'm really hard with myself on that. I've got, I've, in my office, I've, I've got a, you've always got a scalpel in the pen. And I nick it and tweezes. And, yeah, I don't care if it bleeds a bit. I just want to get rid of the splinter. Thorn in your flesh. Not just, ow, ow. It's there all the time. Constant irritant. And God used that of, 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 of the Canaanites. They will be thorns in your flesh. Paul says, this, whatever it was, was a thorn in my flesh. I, I, I couldn't be away from it too, for too long. It was just there all the time. And then he says, it was a messenger of Satan to buffet me. What? The devil was getting at him? The devil was doing something? Yes. Hello? Real world? The devil does stuff. God allows the devil to come against his people, his saints, in particular ways and at particular times. That's how the book of Job starts. Yes? God is receiving reports and one of them is from Satan and Satan says, you, your friend Job, you bless him, you protect him, he loves you, of course he does. If you took that away, he'd hate you, he'd curse you. So in a series of permissions, God gives Satan permission to test Job's faith and the sovereignty of God. It's there. It's in the scriptures. Let me read to you from Smyrna, the letter to Smyrna. You think, where's the letter to Smyrna? It's in Revelation chapter 2. It's one of the epistles in the book of Revelation. I don't read you this letter. Really encouraging letter from the Lord Jesus, the risen Saviour, to the church at Smyrna. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, the first and the last, the one who is dead and come to life, says, I know your affliction and poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are in a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you. And you will have affliction for ten days. Days probably means years. (laughs) Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The victor will never be harmed by the second death. Letter from Jesus. The devil's going to throw some of you in prison. Well, can't you stop that? Of course he can stop that. But he's allowing it. He's allowing their faith to be tested. And he's saying, and I will reward... You who overcome. I will reward you as you overcome him. In the book of Romans, towards the end there, Paul says, uh, the God of peace will shortly crush Satan under your feet. Meaning, at the time that he wrote it to them, they were in a bit of trouble from the devil. But God was going to soon turn that around. So, conflict of Enemy attack is actually normal life. It's what we live with. And if we do not understand that and we don't have a warfare mentality, we'll be beaten up again and again and again and again. We won't understand what's happening to us. We'll blame God for what's happening to us. We'll blame other people for what's happening to us. 
God allows our faith to be tested even by the opposition and attack of the enemy. Paul says, this thing was a messenger of Satan to torment me. Then Paul twice says, why God allowed it, why God allowed this thing to be a trouble to Paul, to keep me from exalting myself. He says it twice, to keep me from exalting myself. So I don't get puffed up. I don't become self-confident. A thorn, an affliction, brings us back from self-dependence and throws us upon God. You know? I'm not going to do well without his help. Every now and again, I, I find that in my life. There's, oh, I stumbled. Well, how did I do that? Because you will do that all the time, David, unless God's helping you. Let me read to you something from Psalms. Psalm 119, where David extols the, the law of the Lord, the word of God. Two verses. Just a few verses, difference between them. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Isn't that wisdom? Isn't that maturity? I understand now that before trouble hit me, I was going astray. But trouble drove me back to God and to his word. So in the long run, it was good for me that I got into that difficulty. It was good that trouble came and smacked me around the face. <laughs> because it brought me back to God's word. It brought me back to the truth. The verses we read, and we're going back over now in 2 Corinthians 12, are a warning against boasting. That's the context. But they're also a very powerful statement about the grace of God. Before we get to the grace of God, and that's what I want to concentrate on this morning. Let me just give you some advice. Be careful what you boast about. Because if you boast about something as if it's yours, God may allow it to be taken away for a while so you learn that it isn't yours. Whether your health or whatever it is. I'm not, I'm not cursing you. I'm saying this is reality. I remember as a young man... Um, Single man, I, I, Formek, Carol. Um, I used to do. I used to run. You wouldn't believe this, but I used to run quite a lot. Uh, I lived in Silvertown Way, and I would run all the way down to the ferry and back up to Silvertown Way, which is about a seven-mile or so round trip run. I got up to when I could do it quite comfortably. And, uh, and uh, she's looking at me amazed. <laughs> this is me, him. <laughs> So, yeah, I was skinny in those days. And uh, I remember coming back from a run on a Saturday morning and having a wash and then doing my chores and looking in the mirror thinking, I'm fit I am. <laughs> and, you know, later in the day I began to cough. And the cough got worse. And I went to church the next day and I was involved in church, you know, and... Uh, and then it was time for communion, and, and, and they, the elders would pray for people during communion, you know, there as well. And, and I thought, I'd better get my cough prayed for. I'll, I'll get Fred. One, you know, Fred was like a father to me. as one of the elders. He was like another dad to me, Fred Hazelgrove, wonderful man. 
I'll get Fred to pray for me. And as I walked towards him, the Lord said to me, and confess your sin. I went, what? Confess your pride. Okay. So I went to Fred, and Fred said, okay, what's the matter? He said, I've got a cough. Oh, whoa, sorry, Fred. I've got to tell you something before you pray for me. The reason I've got a cough is that I was boasting in, my, in, in myself yesterday. So the Lord allowed me to get a cough. So I've now, I need to be forgiven that sin and delivered of this, this, this thing. And he looked at me and he just grinned, big grin. <laughs> yes, he said. <laughs> so, my dear old brother Fred laid his hands on me, prayed for the forgiveness of my sin and for the healing of my cough and the cough went away. Be careful what you boast about. Yeah, it's just, just a personal example. Be careful what you boast about. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Three people know the scripture. Okay, good. See how Paul dealt with this. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it may leave me. Three times. It seems to me Paul took time out from his schedule, from his busyness, to actually seek God about this thing. Three times. I would suggest these were three separate occasions, weeks, maybe even months apart. And Paul said, thought, I've had enough, I'm going to ask God about this. All right? And he said, please take this away. It's a bit like Jesus in Gethsemane praying three times. If it be possible, let this cup be removed from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Paul had a similar experience of three times, on three occasions, seeking the Lord about this wretched thorn thing. Now we don't know whether the Lord answered Paul three times successively. Or just once at the end. I... My guess is because of this three times thing, very often the Lord does say things three times. That three times he got the same answer, till in the end he had to settle with the answer. The answer the Lord heard, uh, Paul heard from the Lord was this My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. I want you to notice two words are put together there, which you, you might not think work grace and power. Grace and power. Our general understanding of grace in the church, this church, every church, falls so far short of what the Bible means by grace that we would be very unlikely to put those words together in any sentence of our construction. Grace and power. Power, a way of talking about grace? Yes. That's what Paul understood by this. He refers to the grace of God in the next verse says, the power of Christ dwelling in me. The power of Christ dwelling in me. Power is strength, authority. The power of Christ dwelling in me. That grace, God's grace empowers us. God's grace meets our need. God's power is manifested and glorified in our weakness. Let me have another go today defining the grace of God. I'm being brave here. It, it can refer to the power or strength or authority of God, but it can also be used of uh, speaking of humility and meekness. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for your sakes. That's humility, meekness, servanthood. That's one way of talking about grace. But another way of talking about grace is God's empowering presence, his strength. 
It can be used of speaking of God's saving power, which is continual. It can be used of speaking of some gift from God, this grace of apostleship or whatever it is. Grace is God's work towards us and in us, and he's engaged in it. He's not started something and then left it. You know, some people have a theory of creation, which is God was like the kind of watchmaker. He kind of made it all, wound it all up, and he set it going, and he stepped back, and he's just observing now. It's been left to run, and it has its own laws and so on. But the Bible does not teach that. It says he sustains and even renews his creation. He is not hands-off. He's hands-on. The seasons and the rainfall are his work. Well, in practice, a lot of us have a similar kind of idea, a wrong idea about the grace of God. God's saved you, now get on with it. Go and do your best. It's not true. We are continually being saved by the grace of God. God's grace is active towards us. So here goes. Let me put up another definition of grace for you. I'll end up with dozens of them before I finish. Somewhere around 68, 69 or so. Grace is all the work of God for us and in us to bring us to again be his dear children and to bear his image. It's God's work for us and in us to bring us close to be his dear children. It's what he made mankind for, to be his children. For him to be their father. That's the father, Father's Day reference, by the way. And that we should bear his image. Man was made in the image of God. Jesus came and showed us again the image of God in man. And we are being made like who? Like Jesus. So guess what? We get to be made again in the image of God. But it doesn't happen all at once. Because there's a lot of work to do. Becoming a Christian, repenting, believing, being baptized in water, receiving the Holy Spirit, which we'll come to soon in Hebrews, or being converted is the start of God remaking you to become like Jesus and to bear the image of God, to become more like God in character. It's why he made man, it's why you exist for this purpose. So all that God is, is at work in his grace, his wisdom, his power, his love. Theologians speak of the attributes of God, the things that make, up, make God God. He's eternal, he's good, he's all-knowing, he's all-wise, he's all-powerful, and so on. But then they say there are some attributes of God which are communicable and some which are incommunicable. I'll explain that, don't worry. There are things that in God himself he can give away. He can deposit, he can, he can kind of give out. There's other things he can never give out, he can never give away because they won't make him essentially God. So, guess what? God shows us, gives us his love without becoming less in himself. He can give us moments of wisdom and deposits of wisdom, but he doesn't make us all wise. Only he is all wise. He can give us insight, knowledge at particular times through the Spirit. But we don't get it all, we don't see it all, we don't understand it all. Why? Because only God is all-knowing. But God is intent on communicating himself to us in these communicative gifts. The things he can give away. He wants to give away. He wants to deposit in us and with us. The point I want to make here is that all that is in God, which he communicates to us, 
that we are capable of receiving and then of becoming more like. He is totally committed to do that. It's what he actually really, really wants. God, so giving to himself to us in saving, keeping and remaking us through his wisdom, power and love is what, this is another definition, what the Bible calls the grace of God. It's God himself at work. Salvation, in the end, is not a something, it's a someone. It's to be joined to Jesus and to be in Christ. And grace, in the end, is not a something. It's actually someone giving himself. It's God giving himself in what he can communicate of himself, his wisdom, his power, his love, to us. God impacting us by his presence and by his character. That is grace. You can't exhaust thinking, writing and talking about the grace of God because in the end, it's, we're talking about God himself. It flows from him. Now listen to this. Now hear this, as they say in America. Paul writing to the Ephesians. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. God called you. Why? With a hope, with, a, with an objective in view. What is, what is that objective? It's not only your hope, it's his hope for you. It's his preferred future. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? We are God's inheritance. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance. Actually, these are in italics. It's not in the original. In accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. Not only this this age, but also in the age to come. Where are we? Yeah. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The same power by which Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and exalted as Lord of all is active towards us. The same power. And it is at work in us. Paul piles the words on here. Sometimes, even in Greek, you know, there are too many words for, <laughs> for saying it. It's kind of superlatives are piled in here. It is the working of the strength of his might. You know, when you see somebody uh, uh, hammering something or digging it, they might go... <laughs> or they might be really shoveling this thing out. You know, giving it all they've got. Listen, this is God we're talking about here. The working of the strength of his might. God is holding nothing back. His power is totally focused. What? On raising Jesus from the dead? Yes, and on helping us. His power is towards us who believe. The working of the strength of his might. 
No wonder that Paul prays that the Lord would give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of God and that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened so that we see, we know, we understand. Do you want to see this? Do you want to get this? God's heart of love is towards us. All the wisdom of God is engaged in helping us and the working of the strength of his might, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I know we sing it. You know, I've got another song to refer to later. We sing stuff. We need to start believing it. The same power, the same strength by which Christ was raised from the dead and exalted as Lord of all is at work towards us. Well, it's time for the application. Here it is from Paul. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the... Notice he doesn't use grace. He uses the word power again. That the power of Christ may dwell in me. I will boast about my weaknesses because when I am weak in myself... I am strong in the power of Christ. That the power of Christ may dwell in me. Now that is the opposite of what a lot of us do. Most gladly I will boast in my weaknesses. Does that mean not complaining? Yes, it means not complaining. Not complaining about my weaknesses and trials, but even boasting in them. Why? Because the power to endure these things doesn't come from within me, but from Christ dwelling in me. You see, let me give you an illustration to you. Many of us have a power supply problem. Okay? I bought a, uh, on eBay, I bought an old uh, digital photo frame because I want to sort it out and give it to somebody. So I don't, anyway, it's another story. So it arrived and I took it out and I went to switch it on and it, oh, must need charging. Then I realised, this is so old, it, there's no charging about it. It works on the mains. If, it's, if it ain't plugged in, it don't work. And at that moment, I thought, that's us. You see, we are so used to the wireless world, everything's rechargeable. You plug it in for a while, and then you walk away. Yeah? That we, we even think about ourselves like that. We even, I mean, I've even used the language myself. We come to church on a Sunday to get recharged. You know? Because we think we're battery people. We're not made as battery people, folks. We are made to be plugged into the main supply of God. Amen. To be joined to Him and Him living in us. And, you know, His life working in us. All the stuff we learned in 1 John about abiding in Christ. We are made for God's main supply. Batteries are not included. In fact, they're not needed. They get us thinking the wrong way. We need to be connected to Jesus and receiving his grace, his power, his wisdom, his love. At every moment, the power of Christ dwelling in me. Not my battery, the power of Christ dwelling in me. Verse 10, therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults with distresses, with persecutions, with, great dif- with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now again, this is a change of attitude, isn't it? Paul does not say, oh, I'll put up with it then. Mm-hmm. Oh, I suppose I'll resign myself to that. He says, I am well content. 
fully content. You know, this is not begrudging. Oh, I suppose that will do. This is saying, then I am happy to stay like this. Because in this situation, the supply of God's grace and power, because they are synonymous, is coming to me and helping me. If I wasn't weak, then maybe I'd be self-dependent. Maybe I really would think I can do this on my own battery power. But I need him. I am well content. Now I will admit to you that I find it difficult to be well content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions and difficulties. But one thing will get me there and that's knowing it's the grace of God that's holding me and keeping me. See, it's not about me. If I must endure opposition as a Christian, it's for the Lord's sake, for his honour. And if I must endure some other trial, let me do so honouring the Lord Jesus in my attitude and my actions and not be a whining mini, as they say. When I'm weak in my own eyes, in my own capacity, I can begin to be strong in the Lord and in his endless resources. Quote from Louis Sperry Schaefer. The guys over here, Jack and... David are out, so they need to hear this again. If you want to spend eight quid of good money to get something good for yourself, go and buy Grace in paperback by Lewis Sperry Schaefer. He wrote it in 1922. It's one of the best books on grace I've ever read. The guy was the the principal of Thales Theological Seminary, which was dispensationalist, but there's not a lot of that in there. It's mostly about the greatness of God and the grace of God. God saves sinners by grace. God keeps through grace those who are saved. God teaches in grace those who are saved and kept how they may live to his eternal glory. You are saved. You're being saved. You will be saved. God is in the process right now of remaking you to be glorious to him, to be honouring to him. He teaches us, grace teaches us. What the Lord said to Paul, he says to each of us today, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. The power of Christ dwelling in me. Our biggest mistake in life is thinking that we have to make it happen. And we search our insides for the answers and the resources. Where does my help from come? My help comes from the Lord. The maker of heaven. So I need his word and I need to seek him in prayer so that my resources are not internal except that it is the power of Christ dwelling in me. It is the supply of all that he is. Everything that God can communicate to us he willingly wishes to do. Wisdom, power, love, strength, courage. Those strength and courage are ways of describing power. And in the end, these are not things. You know, it's God giving himself to us. In Jesus, through Jesus. Through the help 
and work of the Holy Spirit. God giving himself. So my biggest definition of grace, if I can get it down one day to say it, in the end, grace is God giving himself. We sing a song sometimes, Your Grace is Enough More Than I Need. The title is This This Is Our God. And I was thinking about that yesterday as I was writing this. Your grace is enough. How much is enough? Well, it's more than I need. My need comes up to here because grace is endless. So I can I can need him more and I can be in even more trouble and I can have even more problems, but you know the grace is still enough. And I might think I've come to the end of things, but his grace is still more than enough. And if I will ask him, if I will humble myself to ask him for his help, his power is perfected in weakness. Settle it in your heart today. Whatever you're going through, his grace is enough for you. His power, power, same power that raised Jesus, is perfected in your weakness. You thought it was in your boldness, in your confidence. It's perfected in your weakness. What a topsy-turvy world we live in as Christians. Every way, everything the world thinks is just turned upside down and round about when you come to the kingdom of God. The things that people think they need, the things that people think they want, the things that make them important are obliterated by this incredible grace of God that takes us when we're at our weakest and strengthens us. Let's pray together. Then we're going to break bread. We're going to ask for some volunteers to help us in breaking bread. You, you know, we know they've got 16 ladies and two of our guys kind of travelling. They'll be on the road soon. Um, well, that takes out a good chunk of the people who regularly serve around the place. Most of those ladies. So I'll ask you for your help in breaking bread in a while. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for the grace of God which comes to us through you and for what you did for us at the cross, the whole of your atonement, the full reconciliation you made and finished. We are accepted. We are loved. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you now bring to us that supply of God's grace, the love of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God. We thank you that uh, the secret to our living for you is not for us to kind of somehow go to lots and lots of seminars and get very, very clever, but to understand that, that you are with us and for us and in us and you are constantly, strongly wishing to empower us and strengthen us and advise us and direct us and let us know again your love and your companionship because you are our God. It's you you give to us. You give yourself, Lord. Father in heaven, as we remember now our Lord Jesus and the cross on which he sealed us to God unshakably, immovably, forever by a covenant of grace. May our hearts continue to be enlightened as we consider him 
and we worship him together. Amen.